Well, aloha and good morning, New Hope Windward, Ohana, and to all the campuses, the Women's Community Correctional Center, and Pearl, the Plaza, and of course our Saguaro Correctional Center. Welcome to service uh, this morning. Um, it is an absolute joy and privilege to share with you God's Word today. My name is John Danganan, and if you're Filipino, Danganan. I'm a pastor here at New Hope Community Church on the east side in Aina Haina. We are actually a church plant that planted five years ago, and you guys, New Hope Windward, have been a partner and a blessing to us. We are actually one of the churches that you guys have generously uh, supported and tremendously blessed um, and to support the advancement of God's kingdom here in Oahu and beyond. Uh, could I just say one more thing? That I love your church and I love uh, Pastor Dave. Uh, Pastor Dave is one of my mentors and he is the absolute best and he is a treasure and a gift to the body of Christ. Amen. Well, um, this morning, would you open your Bibles to Matthew 13, uh, 44 to 46? We're going to talk about two parables in three verses. They're very familiar, but uh, I want to submit to you this morning that they are some of the most misunderstood uh, stories that Jesus says. So if we turn to Matthew uh, 13, 44, we're going to be talking about the parables of the hidden treasure and the valuable pearl. Two stories to, about the kingdom of God and how God works. It's about a treasure that's hidden, and it's about a pearl that is valuable. Now, Jesus was a master storyteller. It's been estimated that one-third of Jesus' teachings come in this narrative form called parables. In other words, if you want to know about Jesus, if you want to know about God, if you want to know how God works and uh, how God acts and how God moves, and if you want to know uh, just the movement of God and how He deals and the economy of God or the kingdom of God, we need to come to terms and understand what parables are. Because Mark 4 says that Jesus was teaching many things. So He was teaching a lot, but He taught in many parables. Uh, there's a great um, broadcasting legend, his name is Paul Harvey, and he understood the importance of storytelling and telling parables. Uh, he calls it art over argument. Uh, he uh, concluded that, hey, nobody could have persuaded a generation of Americans to produce babies. But yet, there's a cute little red-headed girl, her name was Shirley Temple, after the war, uh, the, she was so cute and her movies, she was so adorable that it produced a boom of babies, the baby boomers. It's because of storytelling. Uh, in the 80s, um, military enlistments for the Air Force was like an all-time low. Nobody wanted to sign up. But there was a great movie with um, Goose and Maverick called Top Gun with Tom Cruise and after that movie military Air Force enlistments went through the roof. Why? The importance of telling a story. 
Once upon a time, there was a cartoonist whose name was Walt Disney, and he created an animal character called Bambi. In one year since Bambi came out, the deer hunting industry went from a 5.7 million industry to 1 million. 4 million lost because why? People had empathy and felt sorry for Bambi losing her mom. And this morning, we're going to talk about this story of this treasure and this pearl. And it's going to reveal to us of who God is and how God sees us. And so let's go ahead and turn there. Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered it up. Look at this prepositional phrase. It's so important. Then in his joy. You guys catch that? That God sees a treasure. It was hidden. Nobody else saw it. And in his joy, he goes, he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, how God is, the economy of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that pearl. You know, I've been a Christian for more than half of my life. I've been a full-time pastor for 18 years. And my usual interpretation or my, the way that I usually heard, and if I'm being honest, I've taught this two or three times, is that we are like this man. That we are the one, we're looking for meaning in life. We couldn't find happiness and we found this treasure in the field and we, we find a relationship with God, we find Jesus, and what do we do? We sell all that we have, we take up our cross, we deny ourselves, and we follow Jesus. And usually we interpret this like we are this merchant, that we find the, this fine pearl, this great rich, riches that is in Christ Jesus, and we're gonna sell everything that we have in order to follow Jesus. And that's usually the paradigm or the interpretation that we think of when we think of these parables. But the only problem with that is this, that it is not consistent in the Bible. Because God is always the one who seeks after us. Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Not only is God the one that always seeks after us, but secondly, we never seek after God. Romans 3, quoting Psalm 14 says that there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God, not one person. So you see, we need to understand and come to terms with how God is and who God is because it is God who seeks after us. It is God upon finding you, upon saving you. He sells all that he has. God bankrupts heaven. 
the Bible says that he who did not withhold his only son, how much more will he freely give us all things? It is God. He's the man. He is, he is the merchant that searches and finds us. So how can we apply this now that we've interpreted it correctly? How do we apply this in our lives? I have two main points for us this morning. The first is this. Know your worth from the beginning. Because God is the one that finds us and saves us and sells all that He has. What can we, how can we be changed? Know your worth from the very beginning. We must understand the context of Matthew 13. Before we go into the parable, Jesus says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in what? Parables, in stories. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since what? The creation of the world. There's something hidden when God created from the very beginning. And what did God do in the very beginning? God said, Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. I want to point out two things from creation and knowing your value and knowing your worth from the beginning. The first is this, from the creation account, in the Hebrew, which is the original language that the Old Testament was written in, it says that when God created, the, the, the word there is bara, that God barred the heavens and the earth, right? That everything he, he did, in theology we call this creation ex nihilo, meaning that God created something out of nothing. Right? And when God created, He spoke it into existence. Let there be light. Let there be separation. Let there be mountains. Let there be fish. And God, the, the word there is bara. Okay? If you, I need you to track with me. But when He created on the sixth day, so five days He created so that man, you and I could not only survive, but we could thrive and we could flourish here on earth. He created everything on the sixth day, on the crown of creation. Instead of saying, let there be man, instead of bara, the Hebrew word there is yatsar, meaning that God, He took from the ground and he yatsard, meaning he formed, he molded. It has this idea in Isaiah where God is the potter and we are the clay that he molds and he shapes us. Not only did God not only just speak you into existence and me, but he what? He fold, he took the time, he molded, he folded, he, he each one of us and he says what? <sighs> he breathed the breath of life into man. The second thing I want to point here is, that's in the Hebrew that we don't see in our English Bible is that for five days, everything that God created was good. The trees were good. The mountains were good. The light was good. But in the sixth day, when he created mankind, it says, in the Hebrew, it says, tov, tov. So for five days, it was tov. Day one, tov. Day two, tov. Day three, tov. Or day four, tov. But in verse, in day six, it says, 
Tov Tov, meaning it is very good. So when God created you, he sees you as what? Very good. He formed you. The psalmist says he knew you from the womb. He formed your inward parts that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Find your, know your worth from the very beginning. Know your worth from what God had created you. You know, I'm a father of three boys. I have a 14-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And as a dad of three boys, boys are just different. Any of the boy dads, can I get an amen? <laughs> right? Boys are just different. I, I have uh, friends who are, who are girl dads, and girls usually, they like to sit down, especially when they're young. They like to color and read books and to be studious and sit down. But boys, man, they like to climb up stuff. They like to um, play with mud. They like to play with, the, you know, go on the ocean. They like to do all this outdoor stuff, right? And uh, when my kids were in, my oldest son, who was in kindergarten, you know, we read to him every day Bible stories. But, he, you know, uh, he it was a first-year teacher, so the teacher didn't, really understand uh, dynamics between boys and girls per se and um, my son had a tro hard time reading and uh, not only that he kind of got called out in class and uh, his friends the fellow students they're like oh you're you're so dumb you barely know how to read oh you're so stupid uh, and I remember coming home, doing homework with my son, and he is weeping, and he is crying, and he said, Dad, I'm so stupid, like, I don't know how to read. I was like, listen, son, like, you are so valuable to me. You're so valuable to God. Why are you letting these boys who eat their own boogers, right? Why are you letting them dictate your worth and your value? God created you according to his image. God says that when he created you from the womb that you are good, good, you are very good. Don't let the world, church, don't let your, what your family has said. Maybe right now there's this, something has been spoken over you and you've let that define you. Maybe someone, a teacher or your boss or a coworker, or a family member, they said something about you and that cut you down and you've been using that to define you. Hey, know your worth from the very beginning. Find your, your value because in Matthew, God sees that you are the valuable pearl, that God would do everything that he can. He would, he would, empty himself, uh, Philippians 2 says, to, in order to find you, that you are that field that God would sell everything that he has in order to know you and to save you. Think of yourself as the Father thinks you. Value yourself as the, value, as the Father values you. About a thousand years after Jesus wrote these parables, there was a, a monk whose name is Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. 
Now, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, he's written over uh, 70 books on, on love. Um, and he was um, contemplative. He was a monk. And he thought about the love of God. And he noticed four levels to God's love. The first is this, that we love ourself for the sake of ourself. That we are concerned for ourselves. We're only aware of our own needs. We look out for me, myself, and I. You know, as babies, where we come into this world, we have no choice to, but to begin to look out only for ourselves and have this self-centered reality. But I have good news for you. You don't have to stay there that you don't, you're not at the center of the universe because God is. The second level of love he talks about is love of God for the sake of ourself. Clairvaux noted that this is the, the farthest that, that most people travel in their relationship with God. That you love God because God does good things for you. He's given you family. He's given you health. He's given you a job. You live in Hawaii, nay. Like, and it was like, good. Oh, I love God because He does good things for me. But there's a third level, which is the love of God for the sake of God. And we mature and we grow and we think, it's like, man, I love God because who He is. The reason that I love God is because He loved me first. And this is the joy in the beginning for a lot of people. And I'm like, cool, perfect. I love God. Isn't this the greatest commandment, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Cool. But Clairvaux noted that there's a fourth level of love, which is this. The love of ourself for the sake of God. In other words, we are to accept, we are to love ourselves because God has loved us. You know, when I first read this, it rubbed me the wrong way because it seems so selfish, like we're the center of the universe, that we're prideful and we're arrogant, that this is the fourth level of love. It didn't seem biblical. But the more you think about it and the more that you see and meditate on the truth of who God is, we come to a realization that I've come to realize that pastoring people for almost 20 years, two decades, a lot of people, we all have some level of self-loathe, self-loathing and self-hate. Introverts want to be extroverts. Those who are tall want to be shorter. Those who are short want to be taller. You know, I'm the youngest of four kids. I have an oldest sister who's a teacher now, but growing up, I, I struggled a lot with self-worth. See, my oldest brother, he was the valedictorian of our high school. He was the homecoming king. Uh, he had a full-ride scholarship to Harvard. And I always felt like, man, he got the lottery in the gene pool when it came to smarts. I have my other older brother. Um, 
super smart as well. When I went to Bible college, this is just to let you know, when I went to Bible college, he was two years older than me. He was the tutor, teacher's aide for Greek and Hebrew. And the, I remember still the first day of class, teacher said, okay, John Danganan, Danganan, Danganan. Hey, are you Joel's older, younger brother? I'm like, oh yeah. Okay, well, I'll be expecting some things from you, young man. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, and for the longest time, I, I, I still struggle to reach this level of love, to love myself, not because I'm special, not because I'm talented, not because I could do stuff for God, but I, this level of loving God, loving myself because God loves me. For the sake of God, church, you need to hear this out. For the sake of God loving you, could you love yourself, know your worth from creation, know your value from what God had created you? And lastly, because of this, we're going to close, is rejoice in the God of your salvation. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. So let's take a look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Now I want you, before we read, look at God's reaction. And I hope it would bring into mind um, the parable of the hidden field and the valuable pearl. Okay, and look at how God reacts to saving us. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with what? Loud singing. This word here, rejoice over you, it literally means to dance or to skip or to leap or to spin around in joy. Did you catch that? That the, the day, the moment God saves us, God, He dances, He skips, He leaps, He spins around with joy over us. This word rejoice, it means to properly spin around, to rejoice, to be glad, to be joyful. Can you imagine God dancing over you with shouts of joy? Let me just contextualize this. Um, we are in Hawaii, and one of the things that, if you go to a UH football game, they do a haka, which is like a chant. And we borrowed it for, it's a Maori uh, celebration from New Zealand, but we adopted it. But it's this warrior kind of rejoicing. It's a dance of strength. It's a, it's a chant of, of, of power, of authority, of force, of might. And this is what God does when He saved us. 
one of my heroes in the faith, his name is Charles Spurgeon, as we close, says this, If God sings, shall we not sing? He did not sing when he made the world. No, he looked upon it and simply said, it was good. The angels sang. The sons of God shouted for joy because creation was very wonderful for them. Listen. But it was not much to God who could have made thousands of worlds by his mere will. Creation could not make him sing. When all was done and the Lord saw what became of it in the salvation of his redeemed, then he rejoiced after a divine manner. Spurgeon says, hey, when God created, it was, it was okay, it was good. But when he saved you on the day of your salvation, when he saw you, when he redeemed you, when you were, when the thief came to steal, to kill and destroy, when your life was destroyed and marred by self, by Satan, and God rescued you, he restored you, he rejoiced. He had, he sings over you with, with gladness of heart. We all know Luke 15, right? The parable of the prodigal son. Do you guys know Luke 15 is the only instance in the Bible where we see God run? When does God run? God, represented by the Father, He runs when He sees His Son. After a long way off, He sees His Son coming home. He runs to him. He throws a big party. Doesn't that sound like Matthew 13? He throws a party. He throws a celebration after saving you and saving me. So let's rejoice in the God of Salvation Church. I know summer, it's kind of, it's time for us to relax, to slow down, to chill. But could you just renew your fervor, renew your passion for God? Could you see yourself as God sees you, that you are loved, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? And could you rejoice in the fact that God has saved you? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for this time where we are reminded we are renewed in our minds and we are transformed, Romans 12 says, when we understand more of who you are. So Lord, right now I pray that you would renew our joy, renew the joy of our salvation, O oh God. Just as you told the disciples, hey, don't rejoice that you have spiritual authority. Don't rejoice that the demons uh, come under your submission, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. So Lord, we rejoice this morning that you saved us. We rejoice, oh Lord, that you love us with an unconditional love. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us online to worship Jesus, find your community. We love you. Have an amazing week. Lord willing, we'll see you next week.